Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture stories. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Marketing Show podcast. I'm always excited when I start uh, recording one of these because I never know where the conversation's going to go, and today's going to be great. Erica Tucker is the Global Product Support Manager at Overdrive, and she got into international work even though she didn't have early experience with traveling or exposure and so it's a just a really good reminder that um, even if you don't speak another language or you haven't traveled or you come from a very white neighborhood and haven't had experiences the world is open to you so Erica welcome thank you thank you so much for having me Wendy oh I'm so excited to hear about your journey so so tell me, you grew up in a small town in Ohio. So tell me about that. Yes. Um, I grew up in a small town in Ohio, as you said, central western, a couple of miles from the Indiana border. Um, I think census today would have it at about 4,400 people or so. Um, a, I'm trying to think, two or th- three traffic lights, um, pretty, pretty small. And everyone knows everyone. Um, a great place to, to grow up, um, but not particularly of an international or global flavor, I should say. So. Right, right. So what was the name of the town? Coldwater, Ohio. Coldwater. And what would you say Coldwater is mm-hmm. known for? Great football. Um, high school football. (laughs) We have two locals. I was just home for the first time in a year and a half um, within the pandemic. Um, We went for Mother's Day weekend and my family, my parents and I were saying that everyone from Coldwater that comes back to Coldwater, there's a pizza shop called Naps Carryout Pizza and the hometown (laughs) bakery, bakery. And everyone when they're home goes there. So I would say if you're in the area, we're known for those two things. Um, beautiful park, nice people. So oh, that's lovely great. Town. Yes, yeah. Okay, so you grew up there. Yes. And what did you want to be when you grew up? I'm sure it ran the the gamut since I was little. Um, I don't remember a particular occupation. I think I always wanted to do something with books or which I, I am and feel very lucky to be doing books or writing um, were always interests of mine. Um, but I, for as long as I can remember, had always wanted to move to New York City. And that was years before having ever even been there. Um, there was just an appeal to the city. I always wanted to to live there. So that feels... <laughs> that memory feels stronger than any particular occupation, to be quite honest. Oh, that's funny. So you'd do anything as long as you could get to New York City. <laughs> I think so. And I did get there. And I did do 
many things. So. You did. So tell me about that journey of, of actually moving to New York. Sure. So I went to Eastern Michigan University and studied English literature and women's studies and graduated and several months later moved to New York City. Um, I didn't have a job at the time, which now as a parent would be a very terrifying notion to me and in today's day and age would seem much scarier. Um, but it was very exciting. Um, and I remember you know, going to bookstores and handing in applications. Um, I didn't have a local number. I didn't really even have a permanent address there. So I imagine I was not a particularly easy sell um, for those for those reasons, but ended up getting a job at Barnes and Noble, um, actually with I think maybe a 16-hour stint at a Bed Bath and Beyond in between. <laughs> um, I was assigned to the kitchen section at Bed Bath and Beyond. Didn't do much cooking at the time, and then while I was on break, had a call from Barnes and Noble up the street. And that was on 6th Avenue and 21st Street in the Chelsea neighborhood and got a job working there as a bookseller in fiction. And I have worked with books in some capacity ever since and love it. So a bookseller at heart. Oh, my gosh, that's fantastic. So what are you doing now? So I work for, as you mentioned, I work for Overdrive and am the global product support manager. So Overdrive is a global digital media distributor, and we work with institutions all over the globe, including U.S. and Canada, but my, my focus is on our global partners outside of North America. We work with institutions, that's public libraries, educational institutions from primary and secondary schools, or what we would look at elementary high school here, upper um, level academic institutions, as well as professional institutions. So government, corporations, nonprofits. We work with them and with publishers. We partner with, with those two sides of the coin um, to provide readers or members of those institutions with access to digital content for free. And that digital content would be ebooks, audiobooks, streaming video, magazines, databases, and streaming media services. So just think, you know, really a large world of, of digital media. And they have access to that with their library card in the case of a public library or a student ID for a school. But so to work to bring that digital media to that institution's end user base. Okay, so if I go into my local library, the Goodnow Library in um, Sudbury, Massachusetts, and I take my library card in, would you have any of your materials in there or you don't, you wouldn't know if it's a client or? They, so the best way we have an award-winning app, Libby, um, for public libraries. And if you would download, or there's also a browser version, libbyapp.com. If you went into Libby and did a search for your local library, there's a good chance that your local library system works with OverDrive or perhaps a state consortium. But there is a good chance, particularly here in the United States, that your library is utilizing OverDrive and, and many readers like yourself are already enjoying reading through Libby. 
Hmm. Uh, okay. And so what, what kind of, like you listed off all the different kinds of things that I could get from there. What are, mm-hmm. what are some of the most common items that people are reading? <laughs> sure. Um, I think it depends on the institution and what their needs are. Um, but really think of it as your local, if you said you walked into your local library and you may see mentions of Overdrive or Libby there in physical collateral um, or on your library's website, any bookmarks. Um, but think of it just like your local library branch, but put that in case that in a digital digital space. So it would be your bestsellers. It might be Michelle Obama's memoir or Barack Obama's memoir. It might be the latest Danielle Steele or James Patterson that you might find. So popular fiction, uh, children's titles, magazines that might range from a knitting magazine to Us Weekly to The New Yorker. Um, it really depends on what your particular library has chosen to have in their collection. And I think for most libraries, that is determined by the user base and the interests of their patrons. Okay, so it really is a way to go to the library without going to the library. (laughs) Absolutely. And we've seen that in this last year, particularly with so many library closures and in the UK. So, and I'm, I feel very fortunate in my role. I get to work on kind of the strategic side of overdrive and strategic decisions for our global partners and direction, but also that day-to-day support. I still support our UK public library partners in particular, which I think gives me, I, I feel very fortunate and feel that it gives me a good, well-rounded view of both the holistic and the, the granular needs of our partners. But yes, absolutely. You sign in with your library card and it's just like walking in to your library. You'd find a book that's available. You check it out for typically 7, 14 or 21 days. It gets returned when that's over. You can join a holds queue um, if something has a wait list. So very much mimicking the behavior that is very known and comfortable today in your physical library branch. But it was... um, popular before and almost, I would say, essential over the last year while people right. have been been home. And you know, like I said, some libraries have been closed. Um, some libraries abroad are still closed or are slowly reopening and making those materials accessible. So if you check out a book, mm-hmm. like Michelle Obama's book from from overdrive or from your local library um you never get a an overdue no payment no so memory (laughs) marking in your in your calendar um or your planner of when something is due and getting an associated fine if you miss it that is a a thing of the past where where overdrive is concerned which which is great for many oh my gosh well i figure so many libraries had half their budget come in from <laughs> overdue payments. <laughs> not at least not through overdrive, which is yeah. which is good. Yeah. Okay. So you're in charge of the global area of overdrive. So which countries are you in? 
So OverDrive is in nearly 80 countries. Um, so quite the range, um, every continent except Antarctica, I, <laughs> I imagine, but um, maybe we've had a checkout from there. Um, <laughs> so almost 80 countries, we partner with, I believe we're at about 53,000 partners, institutions that we partner with globally. Wow. It's right. <laughs> very, very prevalent in the public library space. And then, as I mentioned, also in schools, corporations, professional accounts. Um, and we really strive to partner with institutions that sign on to, to OverDrive. Um, when I had first started, I've been with OverDrive for four years. And when I first started, someone had referenced and said partner as opposed to vendor, because we really try, and the way it was described to me was, you know, we, we strive to be so much more than just a vendor. They ask for something, we send it. We really try to take the time to understand the needs and the priorities and the definition of success for each individual partner. And that can look very different by institution type, by territory, um, just by individual branch needs of a library. Your right. public library may look very different from what, what they hope to accomplish with a digital collection may look very different from New York Public Library. Oh, yeah, um, or just a university. Right, yeah, Complete. when you were asking yeah. about what's circulating, there are probably some different texts that are accounted for in a university's library um, as opposed to a public library if they're looking for you know or if someone's looking for how to learn English as a second language and have content around that depending on what their population base looks like okay um, so that can so really differ I just I just wrote a book and I've yes. talked about it on the podcast it's called the language of global marketing and I independently published it because I wanted to retain ownership of it so I didn't go through a publishing house. And I know a lot of independent um, authors who have done this too. I'm start, you know, I've, I've realized that I really love reading the books. So I have a, I have a collection of them that I've, I've read. So how do those, how do you find those books to get them in? Are you working with independent authors or are you working with publishing houses only? Sure. How do you pull all that in? Well, congratulations on your book for starters. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so Overdrive does have a dedicated publisher account services team. They are phenomenal. And when I talk about all of that content, over 5,000 publishers in over 100 languages that Overdrive makes available um, to our institutional partners for purchase, um, it's on the work of our publishing account services team. So they're amazing. Um, and that really runs the gamut from those big publishers that you think of when you think Random House, Penguin, Simon & Schuster, to niche publishers. Um, and that's, again, my, my world is, is very acutely focused on the non-North American, but those niche publishers in other countries, territories that are library partners maybe have requested, hey, there's, there's this great new publication, a title that I'm hearing about from a publisher based in Auckland, New Zealand. Would it be possible for that to be 
added to the catalog for us to take a look at and purchase. That would be our publishing account services team that, that does that work, reaches out to the publisher to initiate and develop a relationship with them to make their content available to the, in the larger Overdrive catalog. And that also then extends to self-published titles. So I can't, can't speak to the, to the nuts and bolts of that process, but we do have a wonderful team that is there to assist um, from big, small, self-published, everything in between. So where does it usually come from that the publisher reaches out to Overdrive or Overdrive is researching and, and reaches out to the publisher or the author? Or is it that the library hears of it and asks for it? Both. All. All. <laughs> um, <laughs> Overdrive also has a, a feature recommend to library. So if a reader is looking, if you go into your public library and there's a title that you're looking for and they do not have it in their digital collection, again, to, to keep with the, the scenario of walking into your physical bookstore or your physical library, apologies, you may find a media specialist or a librarian and ask, do you have you know, I'm, I'm interested in title X. Do you have this? And if they say no, is there any way that you'd be able to get it? That recommend to library is similar. So there's an opportunity to source materials or recommendations as they may be from patrons. Um, libraries will reach out to us at Overdrive and say, I'm interested in this title, but I'm not finding it. Do you work with this publisher? Um, teams will go to trade shows and other events and get to know and meet with, with new publishers, new authors, new titles. So it's really um, a literal world of opportunity <laughs> in sourcing that content that is then available for our institutional partners to browse and purchase and make available. Okay, so all the people that I know that have written independent books, I can tell them to go to Overdrive and submit their book there, and it might get pulled up into the library if they mm -hmm. think it would be. When the way, the way that it works, so Overdrive has a digital um, sort of shopping and administrative portal called Marketplace. And so when I had, had mentioned, we partner with both institutions and with publishers. So we work with all of these publishers to make their titles available in Marketplace. Our institutional partners in turn then, they shop the available catalog of titles in Marketplace, just like if they were to go into any other physical ordering system. They browse all the titles that are available and say, I'd like to buy title X and title Y or buy additional copies of title Z to satisfy holds, all of that same sort of collection development logic. And they do all of that in, in Marketplace. So Marketplace is really the hub that brings all of this together, the relationships with publishers to make content available in Marketplace, and then that shopping aspect of Marketplace where institutions can can browse and shop the catalog and decide what they would like for their personal digital collection. That is so fascinating, so fascinating to me. So now I know I'll go post on my author's group so they know how to put it up into OverDrive. Absolutely. They should, they should check and see if, if it's available. Um, and I'm happy to share, share with you um, after this as well, the, the channel to, to reach out to our publisher account services team. 
Oh, yeah, that would be great. If you want to send that yeah. to me, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, of course. Okay, okay. Now, you mentioned 100 different languages. Yes. How is that handled? So, again, it's by that same, same team, um, Publisher Account Services, and they work to source content in as many languages, um, as many subjects, from as many publishers as possible. So we have content in over 100 languages. Of mm -hmm. our content catalog, about 35% um, is non-English content. So those leading languages are German, Russian, Spanish, French, and Chinese, I would say lead. Those lead the pack of the, of the 100 or so languages um, that we make available. And we're definitely seeing growing demand for that non-English content. We have a lot of libraries globally um, that will talk about community languages and population bases that the first language is not English and they would like to have content in those languages for those population bases. So Edinburgh in Scotland, for example, has a Polish collection of, I think it's predominantly fiction, but content written in Polish for their users to, for their patrons to, to browse and borrow. Um, and we have a lot of libraries, particularly recently in the last year or two that, that are paying special attention to those community languages and making sure that there is something there for, for everyone. Um, and it ties in nicely. Overdrive's mission is a world enlightened by reading. Um, so it's, you know, we don't, we don't write the content, but, but we do our best to make sure that there is a, a wide array of content available to our institutions and their users. That's fantastic. I love it. I remember a number of years ago being in the town over and talking to the library there and they have a high uh, Portuguese speaking population. Mm -hmm. And so they were looking for children's books in Portuguese. But this is a way you can live anywhere in the world and still access books in any language. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, one thing that we've just internally and, you know, speaking the water cooler <laughs> talk that we, we are missing at the moment with, with individuals working from home. Um, but the digital experience and reading through Overdrive is also a wonderful experience for readers, patrons that might be learning English as a second language or another language as a second language because you could borrow a children's title if you wanted to read Portuguese and you're not carrying around a picture book, which if I saw you, I would say, well done you, but not everyone <laughs> might be comfortable carrying around Big Nate in Italian um, or some children's title. Um, but you have a, a very safe, non-judgmental environment in the digital space that allows you to to borrow what you need when you need it. Um, and that's a, that's a great thing to be able to offer. 
That, that is absolutely fantastic. It's interesting because um, I'm getting ready to record a social post about learning a second language through watching Disney movies. Oh. Somebody did an analysis of which Disney movies are the best to watch if you're a beginner, medium, or advanced speaker to get better at your language skills. And then I found out that somebody did that same analysis for Netflix. <laughs> and oh, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it really, I remember my dad, it must have been 40 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe. He, oh, I don't know, it was probably 40 years ago. He sat, so it was pre-internet. He sat next to a young woman, you know, like a teenager in a Russian opera house, and she was speaking English to him. And he said, how did you learn? Because he was in a farming community in Russia. And she said, by watching English movies, you know, American movies. <laughs> So I love that whole idea. If you want to learn English, just go to Overdrive or go to your public library and get the other other languages. Only a great way to experience. I'm very curious about the Disney and the Netflix lists. <laughs> okay, I'll have to I'll have to tag you on that when I uh, do the social post on that. Yeah, so please. Interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. I was reading. Um, there was a piece on NPR that I heard and then and looked up and found the article a couple of weeks ago. And they were talking about, you know, picture a room filled with individuals from South Africa, South Korea, Nigeria, Sweden, no native English speakers, but they could all be having a very stimulating, comfortable conversation in English. Mm -hmm. And then when a native speaker comes in, the level of understanding immediately drops because native English speakers tend to throw out so much jargon and sports metaphors and all of these idioms that can be, be very probably confusing and overwhelming, I imagine. Um, and pre-native speaker, they're there were very few hiccups and it was, like I said, it was comfortable, but it was a very interesting piece talking about, talking about that. So. Oh, that would be fascinating. If you remember where that piece was, I'd love to read that. I'll swap you. The Disney okay. <laughs> <Netflix> for NPR. <laughs> that sounds great. Um, okay. And so the, so you have a hundred languages are most of those, original content in the language or do you have a lot that have been translated? I think it's a mix. So you have those, again, to go back to one of your original questions around what would you find in one of these digital libraries? You know, how often do you hear leading publishers or leading authors tout the number of languages that their content has been translated into? So you may have a best-selling author, you may have Louise Penny, um, mystery writer. Her titles could be, I don't know off the top of my head, but they could be available in German and in Berlin's collection because they want to focus on, let's say, German content, but want those best-selling titles that have been translated. And then again, down to the work of our publisher account services team, there would be content that is wholly original in that local language. So a local German author whose title is in German and that's how it's available is in German. So I think that that collection of non-English content runs, runs the gamut. Okay. That's fascinating. So you don't handle any of the translation. It's just, we have this, you upload it and make it accessible. Correct. 
that. Correct. Yeah. Now we do, we do work very hard to make sure that overdrive is inclusive of many different languages, cultures, and that comes down to our that I mentioned the Libby app. Um, the Libby app is available in languages other than English, um, as is Sora, our app for schools, our education and student reading app, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in our marketing collateral and promotional pieces that we supply to libraries. And I've had libraries in you know, Australia, New Zealand say, we love this but it just isn't quite right or in the UK. And it's, it's so much, it can be so much more than just the, the translation of words on a page. It's the image that's presented. So a student living in London that wears a tie and a blazer and takes the tube to school is going to look very different than Coldwater, Ohio. It's going to look very different than Wellington, New Zealand. And Sometimes it really requires a a strong, trusting relationship with those libraries or schools and partners. I had said at one point, you don't need to be polite. (laughs) And they said, it's too American. (laughs) So you need to have that dialogue around those images and really get down to what is going to speak, what kind of images and language are going to speak to that library and their their users. So it doesn't look like we're trying to give them content that's intended for Ohio, United States. Okay. So you're working. Okay. So there's two things. There's one is how do you develop those partnerships? And then it's providing materials to the partners, customers or users. Or helping our, helping those institutions promote the service to their end users. So whether that's a social media tile or bookmarks and a pull-up banner for their physical library space to promote their digital collection. Um, but it's, it's arriving at, and again, that's, that's getting to what works best for those libraries being their partner and really understanding what works well for them. So some libraries lean heavily on social media outreach to end users. Some libraries reach heavily on or lean heavily on email blasts. It, it's, it's finding out what, what works for them and then how we can best support them in their outreach um, that so they have found work. Create the tiles for the social media and the emails? Like, do you write those and translate them for the libraries? It's in some cases, yes. So we have an overdrive resource center and we point our partners there as well as supporting them with a dedicated team. So every partner that signs on to overdrive has a territory team that's dedicated to them. Um, So in that UK public library example, I would be that individual if they have questions around marketing or questions around the way the app is functioning. They have an overdrive staff librarian that can assist with making title recommendations or if they say, you know, we're really interested in our supporting our Portuguese population. Could you build a cart for 
best-selling or recommended titles in Portuguese. There is a staff librarian at Overdrive who would be able to assist with that and knows the catalog through and through. Um, an account manager that, an Overdrive account manager that sort of looks at the overall health and support and performance of, of that account. So they get a lot of individualized support. And then we also make other tools and systems available to them. So the Overdrive Resource Center has a lot of marketing and outreach materials that help them promote the service to their patrons. And some of that we do have global language kits um, to help them promote content in Vietnamese and Italian, let's say. It will have some key pieces of collateral translated into those languages. Um, or if there's something custom, something one-off that they're looking, maybe it's to support a local book group in French, we would be able to, to work with them and help support that with design. That's so interesting because you're breaking down the walls of the country in the language that normally go together. So like I was talking about the town next door that has a lot of Portuguese speakers. Mm -hmm. So you would have the sport Portuguese translation that could be used in any country in the world because Portuguese speakers live all over the world. Yes, absolutely. And we work closely with our libraries to ensure it depends on the language and we have even here. So Overdrive is based in Cleveland, Ohio. I think we have 10, 10 or 12 in-house language fluencies at Overdrive um, that you know, will review translations on outreach or, or whatever is needed. But we, <clears throat> yes, we will translate those, make them available. Um, if we have a library partner in Wales that is looking for, we have a getting started with Libby piece that's very popular. It points to the handful of very easy intuitive steps to get started in the app. But if it's in English and you don't speak it, it could still be, be a source of frustration. So if they wanted that in a Welsh library, asked for that, we would have that translated, but then also work with the library to ensure that it's, the tone is correct, the language is correct. So checkout could have a monetary connotation to it. If you're at the grocery store mm -hmm. and you're checking out, we would want to make sure if there is a difference, if you were checking out in Libby, there's no pay required. It's with your valid library card. So all of these nuances in the languages, um, you know, we, we try to be very, very mindful of, of those and make them broadly um, of broad use to our partners. Like you say, Portuguese will, will be spoken everywhere and have applications for many partners. Okay, so you mentioned you have 10 to 12 language fluencies in the office. What do you mean by language fluencies? We have um, just on our team, a, a colleague of mine that I work with on the product support team, he's fluent in Russian and German. So if there is a question around the translation of issues in German for magazine issues is incorrect. We have someone that sits the next desk over that can look and, and, and weigh in on if they agree that there's an issue with that translation or if it makes sense. Um, we have 
members of our support team that are fluent in Portuguese, in Russian, um, Polish, Arabic. So if a support inquiry comes through or a question around content, it's, it's nice for an office in Ohio to have so many um, colleagues with, with other language fluencies that we can call on to say, can you take a look at this? Does this, does this piece strike the right chord? We've gotten this question. Does that make sense to you? So is that their full-time job or they're on the account services team? And then this is kind of an add-on to what they do. Um, I would say more towards the add-on. No one's sitting there just waiting for translation questions or to translate content. Um, but we really enjoy and appreciate having those languages or just other cultural perspectives mm -hmm. on the team. I think it makes the team very, very well-rounded um, and provides a lot of a lot of helpful perspectives. Um, even if you're looking to you know, have a prospect in a territory that no one's particularly familiar with, if someone's traveled there or has any experience right. with it, it's just helpful context. Now, how do you get your translations done? We work with a, we work with a translation partner, um, a third party translation partner that we work with very closely on translation requests. And have you ever thought about bringing an internal or do you prefer to keep it external? And I'm kind of curious about that, you know, make first buy decision. Sure. That's a good question. Um, I have not been been privy to those conversations and we've always used this partner as long as I've been working with Overdrive and it's it's worked quite well. So I imagine if the volume were to to greatly increase, um, then maybe that would be a be a conversation that that teams would have. But but no, we've been very happy utilizing that service. And then, like I said, leaning on other areas, in-house expertise, colleagues that might process audiobooks but are fluent in French or <laughs> just from from their upbringing, um, as well as partners and then resellers that have those language expertise as well. Okay, so Overdrive really made a strategic decision to hire bilingual people to have them internal to help with the quality control, it sounds like. I, I definitely think at, at least for our global business unit, we are always interested to, to speak to a qualified candidate that has a language other than English fluency or, or comfort level. I don't think there would ever be a negative aspect to having that, that perspective and experience in, in the room. Right, right. You mentioned travel earlier, mm -hmm. you know, somebody who's traveled to a, another country. Now, have you done any traveling? have I've been very fortunate um, so in my personal life I've I've done some traveling but not regularly I've never never lived abroad um, but I am very culturally curious and love the opportunity to to travel and I'm looking forward to hopefully doing it again soon um, but yes so I've traveled to UK several times um, and that's been Scotland England. Um, I've been to Australia 
and New Zealand with OverDrive as well. Um, and I think we're so fortunate that we have Zoom and, and so many other means of connecting virtually, particularly over the last year or so. But there really is no, nothing quite the same as meeting face-to-face, -face. Um, meeting those partners that I feel like I've known and then um, getting to meet them and see their, their home and their library, um, the country that you know, they're often so, so very proud of. Um, so yes, feel very fortunate to get to, to get to travel and, and represent Overdrive. So it's fascinating to me that um, you grew up in a small town in Ohio Mm -hmm. hadn't done much traveling, knew you wanted to go to New York, and you became culturally curious. And I see that with other guests that we've had on here, is they always say, stay curious. You know, just people are people, and there's differences, but stay curious. So how did that develop in you? And why do you think some people are really afraid when they come from your background versus how you became so open and curious? That's, that's a great question. Um, I read a lot. Um, I think reading is, is so important. Um, you can travel anywhere. Um, when you, when you read, you can experience so many other things. It can be a doorway to my, my public library. I remember, you know, riding my bike down main street to the library and <laughs> checking books out. Um, I think it's, was my parents, um, just, a you know, asking, questions. I, again, didn't grow up globetrotting, but I remember being a kid and going to Washington, D.C. and San Francisco and Chicago. And um, I don't, it's a great question. I think sometimes too, it's just inherently, and I don't know that there's a right or wrong way, um, but looking at, and I always, you know, when we interview someone for the global team for Overdrive, I always think, do you look at something as a challenge or an opportunity? Do you relish a puzzle or do you wish it all just followed a, a set template? Because supporting our global partners, it does require thinking outside of the box. It does require creative troubleshooting. Um, so you really need to have that curiosity and enjoy that to, to succeed. Um, and I'm not sure why I've always found that to be the case personally, but, but I have. Um, there was, I came across, I don't remember what site it was, but I saw a phrase the other day, shoshin in Japanese. It's a Buddhist term and it's beginner's mind. And they were saying that you should always have a beginner's mind and an attitude of openness, eagerness, a lack of preconception when you're going into something. And I, and I thought that that tapped in so well to supporting or you know, doing business in any facet, really, globally or with someone down the street having that. And we're really, we're, we're all more alike than, than we are different. Um, a library in New Zealand, their, their goals may look very different, the content that they may choose to purchase. Um, their population base may be very different from one in London and a public library in Missouri, but they want to do the same thing. They want to provide resources to their patrons, help them, help kids learn how to read and foster a love of books. And if someone has a question about their taxes or their bills or writing a resume, I mean, I, I think the, 
at the end of the day, it's all a lot more similar. Um, yeah, access, providing access yeah. to knowledge. Yeah. Knowledge, yeah. But so I love that beginner's mind, and I think I think having I think having that is is going to set someone up well to succeed. You don't go to New York City because you want everyone to be exactly the same. It's new, it's exciting, it's meeting people from different backgrounds and, um, and really enjoying that and growing from it. So. Oh my gosh, you have such a, such a natural shine and that love of, I mean, you, you just our perfect persona that says reading is what you should do. <laughs> Thank you. I, I couldn't believe it more. I couldn't believe in that more. And I couldn't work for, for a company that, be, that believes in that more. So. Oh, that's so great to hear. Yeah. I'm an avid reader. I read everything. I love everything. Somebody publishes a book. I'm like, let me, let me how can, how can I get it? I want to read it. So. Well, download Libby. <laughs> okay. sound like a sales, like a sales pitch, but you should absolutely, if you're not already, um, take advantage of your check if your local library has overdrive and take advantage of it. Um, as I'm sitting in a room surrounded by physical books. So <laughs> we're for literacy in all, in all forms. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, no, I've, I've, and I'm very blessed I share a Kindle with my mom and she's ahead of me in reading all the books. So I've got this continual oh, supply of new books coming in. So perfect. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. So, so you told me your dad gave you some good advice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yes. I love that so much. I'd love to have you share that with our listeners. Sure. So, and, and we had chatted about this and I've been thinking about it a bit. Um, one thing that I remember when I travel, when I go somewhere new and traveling could be going to a new, to the state over a new town. It doesn't have to be some exotic travel, but this notion that you're, good enough to go anywhere, but you're not too good to go anywhere. And, and I would need to ask my dad if, if that was a passing comment or if that's something that he's thought about a lot, but it sticks with me. I can't remember the time or place that it was said, but it has stuck with me a lot that when you, and you and so go ahead, say it again. So you're not, yeah. it probably flips, but you're not too good to go anywhere, but you're good enough to go anywhere or, or flip them. But the sentiment yeah. being that if, if you are invited to a black tie dinner, go, you can hold your own and have conversations with the people that are there. And if somebody says there's this great stall that makes sandwiches down the street <laughs> and the guy's selling it out of a cart you're or a dive bar or whatever the case might be you're you're not too good to go anywhere either and i think that's oh always gosh. kind of been an overriding overriding principle but um when i was a kid and even still um i'm an early riser and as is my dad and i would start to go up to breakfast with him at the local again small town um it was called red carpet and then I think it became the barnyard. And now it's actually a little dining area off the bowling alley in Coldwater. And I would start going up there with him on Saturday mornings or if there was a snow delay and go up there. And I was the youngest by decades. <laughs> and I would go in and it would be, you know, predominantly middle-aged men, 
having coffee, talking about the Cincinnati Reds or, you know, the, the weather forecast. And I learned so much about getting along well with others and having an open-mindedness and, and making conversation and um, appreciating different values and all of these things that I think have really carried carried through to an adult working from having breakfast, those guys ribbing me about something because I'm 10 years old. <laughs> um, so I carry, I, I definitely carry lessons from, from that as well. Oh my into gosh, is... global, global business. So right. you know, to, to come full circle, I, I can understand why someone might find in any, however you are supporting someone globally or doing business globally, but how it could seem overwhelming if that's not your natural background. But I think we can tap into some aspect of that being a natural background. I think anyone can, can find that and find those commonalities with with anyone that you're working with. Oh, that is such great advice. I so truly believe that. All right, we're, we're getting close to running out of time. Yep. So I want to ask you some questions I always like to ask. What is your favorite foreign word? Um, I'm a big lover of words, so this could change all the time. <laughs> um, there is just to set the stage a little bit, last time I was in London visiting our library partners there, um, I went to Brixton Market and they have this installation, or at the time they did, an installation of flags hanging up from the, the rafters in the ceiling. And they were different words. And I looked it up after the fact. It's an installation called Untranslation, but it's words that are supposed to represent the, the tongues and sentiments of, of languages around Brixton. And so I have all these pictures on my phone from words and things that I love there. And there was one, Nas, which was um, Urdu from Pakistan. And it's the pride in knowing that another's love or word is truthful. And I thought it was such a short, succinct word for something so elusive, maybe, to many, something so kind of comforting and, and deep. And so I have that, that photo and um, you can find photos of that installation online. But so I'd probably go with that. Nas. Oh, I love that. I love that. So what, if I f go to find this online, it's Brickstone Market in it's London. Brickstone Market in London and it's Untranslation is the name of the, the installation. And I'm sure that there's a descriptor of it in the market, but I just saw it as I was walking around and started noting these flags and the languages. And it's, um, it just felt such a bustling, lively, um, diverse place. And, and those flags caught my attention. So I did a little research on it after I got back, but really beautiful. Should check it out. I love that. I have a whole list of untranslatable words that capture sentiments like that, that we don't have in English. And that's mm -hmm. the richness of language and the difficulty of translation. All right. Okay. How about your favorite vacation? That's a tricky one. When I was younger, my parents and I have one brother, one younger brother, and we went to Hilton Head Island in South Carolina um, and that would probably, there's, there's different moments or highlights from a lot of other vacations, but, um, Hilton Head has to be up there having 
breakfast with my dad, getting up early and walking the beach and looking for rocks. And there's no tired, like after you've been swimming and out in the sun, (laughs) um, just really beautiful, beautiful place, beautiful people. So that's probably, that's probably up there. And that's York, great. Today. That's great. Yeah. Okay. And how about your most memorable cross-cultural experience in work? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm sure after we, this comes to a close tonight and tomorrow, I'll be thinking of, of loads more. <laughs> um, when I've been to, well, most memorable. So if, can I give two? Sure. Of varying. Um, so working with UK libraries and colleagues in the UK and, and you think it's English and it's, it's a very, very easy and there are many, many differences. Um, so we say checkouts for a, you know, if you're looking at statistics for your library, we say checkouts there, it's issues, but that can cause issues. If you start talking about issues <laughs> internally here, it can, can get a little, a little confusing. Um, but so I was there and we were having an event and greeting librarians that I've, I've come to know and, and really respect and adore working with. And I, and one librarian had come in and I said, it's so nice to see you. How are you? How's your wife? And we we're catching up. And I said, well, you can set your coat over here. And then the restroom, you've been here before, but the restroom is in the back to the right. And he looked at me and said, how you've been here before? Restrooms, toilet. It's a toilet. Um, <laughs> so just that comfort and again, sort of joking and saying, come on, woman, this is where, this is what it is. Um, and I feel like there's always moments like that when I'm in the UK and, and partly because I have really wonderful relationships with so many contacts there. Um, And then a colleague and I were in New Zealand. We have some amazing partners in New Zealand. Um, And we were in Auckland and they opened up our meeting with, with a prayer in Maori and it Mm. was beautiful and not a language that in my limited interactions, but not in New York, certainly not home or here, not something that's widely, that I was widely familiar with. Um, And it was just very beautiful and moving and sort of like the Nas, the the description of that, just something it felt very personal and very, very touching and, and a wonderful experience. Oh, those are fantastic. I mean, a good reminder that even if you're going to another country that speaks English, you've got to have some translation going on there if you really want to connect. (laughs) And then the emotion of the prayer across, you know, in a language that you're not familiar with, how moving it can be. Well, thank you so much, Erica, for joining us on the podcast today. It was, um, I mean, just fascinating. I've heard of Overdrive. I know it, but to get more into the details about it and look at how you function on a global basis is absolutely fascinating to me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the, the time and the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. So listeners, if you know an author, this is a good one to share with them so they can make sure to reach out to the account management team and uh, propose their book so it can be found globally because even people living in China might want your book even if it's in English. 
Um, so please, please share that with any authors you know. Um, and if you like the podcast and have listened to it, please um, like it and follow it. Um, we've learned that we have people from over 30 countries now listening. And so uh, we want to we wanna see where you're coming in from and that um, people are, are liking it. So thanks so much. And we'll catch up with you on the next Global Marketing Show podcast. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.